This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. This is episode 15. In today's episode, Connor, a senior psychotherapist, will answer these four questions from our community. 1. My biggest struggle is dealing with whoring. Every time it happens, it triggers the positive memories that I have with the narcissist and my brain begins to justify all of the abuse. Besides going no contact, what can I do to stop justifying the abuse and falling for the hoovering attempts? 2. I am in the process of breaking my trauma bond. What are 5 to 10 signs that I can look out for that indicate that the trauma bond has been broken? 3. Can you please give me a really detailed example of mirroring? I feel like the narcissist in my life is just copying my identity, but I'm not sure. 4. One of the ways that my narcissistic wife dominates me is by starting an argument and blocking me before I can get my point across. It makes me go crazy every time and I'm tired of her having so much control over me. What are some ways that I can validate myself in those situations so I don't fall for her baiting tactics? Hi Connor, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Hi Joanna, thank you for having us today. Of course, so let's get started with the questions right away. The first question is, my biggest struggle is dealing with hoovering. Every time it happens, it triggers the positive memories that I have with the narcissist and my brain begins to justify all of the abuse. Besides going no contact, what can I do to stop justifying the abuse and fall, falling for the hoovering attempts? Yeah, so when we think of the term hoovering at first, then we're going to come across multiple terms that are analogies. So we see hoovering as an example, and if we go back to a vacuum, you know, it's about sucking something up. It's about bringing, bringing something towards the other person. And this is where it's calculated. And this is where it's done on, it's done on purpose. It's done on purpose to draw somebody in in this way. And that's where this question, it says, my brain begins to justify. And this is the moment where we start to, to think of being compassionate to ourselves. Because many behaviours are used with narcissism. They are playing in very normal and very natural human needs and human traits. And if we get somebody, you know, friends, family, a partner, who's telling us the nice things about us, that are very inclusive of us, it's going to feel nice, absolutely. We do find that in other relationships. The thing is that with narcissism, we're, this has been used as a tactic. It's playing in natural human functions. And it's drawing somebody in in this way. So my brain begins to, and the brain will begin to, because we are human, and this is the first point that I'll make today. But what can we do? As I often think and work with my clients, we understand what and we'll get how. And no contact is, is of course, quite a, quite a clear boundary that we can have. Because when we identify and we understand and we see this pattern being replicated, then... No contact is a way of pulling us back. At the same time, 
This question is about what can I do besides no contact? And that's where we can look at other options here. This is where we still need to look at the patterns though. We still need to look at what is happening because narcissistic patterns, they are just that, they are patterns. And we're going to see the pendulum going from one side to the other. And go back to the word control. This is all about control. I mean, of, of course it is. So many narcissistic tactics is about gaining control over the other person. And that's where we need to keep that in mind firstly. We need to watch out for our natural human, the natural human factor of being drawn in to positivity. And we need to watch out for that. Accept it for us, because it is going to happen. But we need to go back to that word control and use our logic, use our logical part of the brain to hack into this and to say, okay, wait a minute here, this is a pattern that's been replicated and this is about control. And we need to document as well. Document through journals. Document in other ways that feel right for the individual. Because when we're in the, mo in the moment of hoovering, it's not going to... Well, some of the logic may not be easily applied at that time. Therefore, going back to previous times that the pendulum swung to the other side, and been able to read and look at this and say, wait a minute here, I've been here before. Or I've been here multiple times. So what's the next step? What's the next step from the positive side of the pendulum? Well, we know it's the dark side. It's the darker side when that control is gained and negativity can happen. One thing I'll talk about later as well, and I'm just saying this very firmly as a therapist, that people can only help themselves. I've worked with people with narcissism. I've worked with a range of victims, or as I say, survivors of, of narcissism. And to understand this, we need to understand that only the individual can help themselves. And me as a therapist, I can help an individual help themselves. And if we're in a relationship or a family member or a colleague or a friend that's showing these behaviours and projecting towards you, I say this very firmly, we cannot quote-unquote fix this behaviour. It's not going to happen. It only comes from the individual. And I say this just now because so many of my clients will say this to me, that oh, maybe if I do this, maybe they'll get better. And that's where it's not going to happen unless it comes from the individual. And that's where we need to be very, very cautious of. And again, all your listeners, remember my words as a therapist. And although there's an audio podcast, I'm in my therapy office right now. The couch where many of my clients sit is right behind me. And that's the first thing I'll say to everyone. I can help you help yourself. What I'll say as well is we need to think about ourselves. Every human, we've all got our vulnerabilities. Narcissism is going to play in these vulnerabilities. And that's where caution needs to lie. To understand our own vulnerabilities is, is so key to this. For example, is the we vulnerabilities around rejection? Do we have vulnerabilities around abandonment, or self-worth, or shame, or defectiveness? If so, keeping those in mind, we all, we all do have them. But it's knowing what our vulnerabilities are gives us an ability to protect against these being used by another person. And if we know, let's say, we have a vulnerability around feeling defective or shame, and we identify that 
this has been used in a positive way by hoovering to tell us how fantastic we are and amazing and so on and it switches to building upon the negative beliefs that we have and we identify their vulnerabilities around us well then we start to see this pattern more and more and more and more and I go back to the word pattern patterns of control and we'll see this through many many different tactics because this is what it is about to sum up in this question is to look at the patterns of the other person, look for the pendulum swinging to one side to the other, document as much as you can and keep that documentation in a safe place. The second point is understanding your own vulnerabilities. What vulnerabilities do we all have? What are they? And to understand when they are being used through the means of control. Thank you so much. Let's go to the second question. I am in the process of breaking my trauma bond. What are five to ten signs that I can look out for that indicate that the trauma bond has been broken? Yeah, wonderful question. A trauma bond, just to, to, to talk briefly, is that relationship between the abuser and the person that they are abusing. It is that key characteristic of, of toxic relationships. And I'll rephrase, and I'll say that again, a key characteristic of toxic relationships. Therefore, when we look at this, we can be, we, we can start to become more aware, more aware of the trauma bond that we have with, our, with an individual. But then the question again, and I'm just saying this to remind myself, is about, is about those five to 10 signs a trauma bond has been, has been broken. In this way. This is where we go back into our core emotional needs. As I often discuss you know, with my clients, we've got the need for food, we've got the need for shelter, we've got the need for water. After that, what do we have? We've got our core emotional needs. And I emphasize the word need because our neurology, as, as a human, is built around us. It really is. So when we look at this, one of the core emotional needs that we have is a sense of safety and being securely attached to others. So when we're looking at this through healing a trauma, a trauma bond, this would look like being able to prioritize the secure connection that we have with the people in our lives. And when I say secure, this isn't about control. And this is where that starts to, we start to differentiate this further. It's not about control. If we think of the healthy, secure relationships that we do have or that we see within others, well, we start to look at this and we start to see a secure relationship with the absence of control. Along the same thread, along this core emotional need, someone that's breaking a trauma bond understands and knows what makes them feel safe. Them feel safe as an individual. They'll also understand that when vulnerability presents within them, that they'll understand how they cope with it. I mentioned in the previous question that we may have vulnerabilities as an example around abandonment, rejection, shame, defectiveness, etc. We've also got coping styles. So for example, let's say we have our vulnerability activated of rejection. How do we cope with that? Some people will overcompensate for this and be drawn towards the other person and people please. Some people may avoid their own emotions or other people in their life. Some people may surrender to that. And surrendering is just putting your hands up and saying, okay, I am defective. 
and that gives more power to their other individual. We've all got coping styles. We, we do, and it's just another part of being human. We need to understand as well what our coping style is. And if we recognize as an example that our coping style is about overcompensating and getting to people pleasing or surrendering to our vulnerabilities and giving power over to the other, other individual, then these are two main coping mechanisms that are going to draw us into this. And therefore, by definition, cannot be drawn into this. It's also going to be about our awareness, our awareness of. And this doesn't mean we need to have worked through and healed all of our vulnerabilities. This is about the stage of being aware of them, so they cannot be used by the other individual, who would likely be very good at understanding the vulnerabilities of the individual and using that against them. Continuing on, we've got more core emotional needs. Self-identity and autonomy is another one. And again, a need, not a want, a need. Our neurology is built around it. To have a degree of autonomy on our own self-identity, that would present if we're in the process or moving toward or being at the stage of healing a trauma bond. We have our autonomy. We have that self sense of self-identity. And we all we always have that understanding that we are human. And we're accepting that all vulnerabilities and all humans are vulnerable to trouble bonding and bringing in this compassion. If we hold shame or negativity around being previously in a trauma bond, then that is too big and too much of a negative emotion to be held within the mind. We need to look back in this and say, okay, what do we know about humans? What do I understand about me as a human? And recognize, okay, this, this does happen. And, you know, we can't blame ourselves for what we didn't know at the time. We just need to accept what we do know at this time and move on from this and stay compassionate to ourselves. This is said in the first question. Narcissism is so tricky because it plays on very natural human processes of interaction and manipulates from them. Therefore, we're all vulnerable to it. Humans are social creatures, and therefore that's why. Another core emotional need is freedom to express what we need and ask for what we need from others. Are we able to do that? Are we able to express our needs in a safe, secure way? Are we, to, are we able to ask for what we need from others? And that is also about expressing our vulnerabilities. Our vulnerabilities but with the safe people that we have secure patterns with. We can document patterns that are maladaptive or more negative, as I mentioned with narcissism. When somebody's working on a trauma bond, I often recommend to document other relationships as well and to show those patterns because they will stand out just as clearly as, as the pendulum swing from one side to the other as narcissism does. Therefore, Recognizing that is also key. Uh, the last, we've got quite a few core emotional needs. The last one I'll speak about with this question before I, I speak too long is safe, appropriate limits and boundaries. This is where we're, again, consciously aware of both our patterns and the patterns of the other. And putting in those boundaries, putting in those boundaries that it can be so difficult to put in, they really can, whatever those are. 
boundary from those extremes of contact to as minimum of talking only on certain days of the week. That boundary is crossed, no matter what it is, it's a boundary violation. You've set a boundary and it's been crossed. Regardless of what that is, we need to look at it as something that's been crossed and we need to question the individual that has crossed it and why. And if it is about them, then they will cross it quite often. And that's what we need to be very cautious around it. Thank you so much. Those were great, great um, perspectives, I think. And I, I, I really like this question as well, because then you can like listen to this episode and think, oh, yeah, th that applies to me and see how far you have come. Like, it's very important to always also acknowledge those positive things and positive changes and not always, mm, you know, recognize your or be aware of negative feelings and then figure out how to overcome that, but also celebrate those small victories and positive things. Um, let's go to the next question. Can you please give me give me a really detailed example of mirroring? I feel like the narcissist in my life is just copying my identity, but I'm not sure. Yes, it's mirroring and I've said this a couple of times today, but I will say it again that mirroring is another natural human function. We, we do this uh, quite often, and we can recognize that within within ourselves and you know many relationships that we do have. It's really about reflecting back another person, what maybe what they're saying, or maybe what they're doing, or what they like, these kind of things. And again, it's, it's very natural. You know, that's where we can think, or we can distinguish this further between the light mirror and the dark mirror. The light mirror will find this in so many situations. Even as I speak to you, Eliza, uh, Joanna, that what often happens between humans as they interact, although this is an audio podcast, I can see your face right now as we, as we create this podcast, that we are both reading each other's cues. When, if you send me a sign of safety, as an example, or you smile or tilt your head, my subconscious is going to react to that. And I'm also likely going to do something else, almost like a game of tennis. You know, we're passing things back and forth and back and forth. If we were sitting up in a coffee, Juliana, then if I took a sip of my coffee, the likelihood of you taking a sip of your coffee would increase a bit more. So we see this playing out and playing out. And this is, again, human social interaction. And it's just the way that we're built when we look at the light mirror. But what happens when the mirror goes dark? What happens when somebody that is expressing, or let's say, reflecting back what we're ever likes, reflecting back our interests, joining our interests, doing all these things, and what happens when that switches? A detailed example, to give a detailed example, and let's think of a a very rough scenario for right now, just to, to help the listeners really hone this down as well. Let's say as an example, and uh, let's say romantically, we'll use this example for right now, although nurse, these kind of relationships and this tactic can be used in all sorts of relationships, we'll focus on romantic relationships for right now. Let's say we meet somebody that we're interested in. You know, we realize that they're saying things, they're saying things about themselves that are very similar to what we've just said. We start to join maybe a yoga class that we've that we've joined. 
maybe they start to go to the shop and get all this yoga equipment and they're right into this they're telling you how amazing you are they're telling you how amazing your body is because you do all this yoga and it's built up and it's built up and it's built up we recognize that our political views are the same as theirs our likes, the type of coffee that we like is the same as theirs. It builds up and it builds up in multiple different ways, of course. But let's say one day we're going to this yoga class, as an example. The next thing this person puts this down. They put down yoga. Yoga's rubbish. It's a waste of time. Let's say they start to put down the people in the class. They start to put down the instructor. The instructor is rubbish. The instructor can't do this. They put down everything around this. Then they start putting you down. They start maybe putting down some of the things that they previously said about you. That they may say things like, oh no, you need to go to the gym. You're putting on weight. Yoga's not enough for you. You need to go and do this to get your body back. They're saying the opposite things that they may have said before. And we, at first, can be sitting there scratching our head and wondering, okay, well, what's happened here? And what would we feel? I know for a fact, because we're talking about humans right here, we're going to feel vulnerable. Because we've now got somebody who's reflected a light better towards us. It's now switched to darkness. We're going to feel vulnerable. And what happens with that vulnerability is either going to go towards them or it's going to go inside and managed by ourselves. Therefore, when we see these things that have been happening, we feel devalued. We question ourselves. We feel that there's something wrong with us. And we feel that they've got annoying in a way that we don't have. This is a form of gaslighting, of course. Many of these tactics do come under the bracket of gaslighting. So when we see this, and we recognize this as a form of gaslighting, that's where, by identifying it's gaslighting, identifying what the behavior is, well, the control stays within us, and the, and the, the vulnerability has been activated, that's going to be either maintained within or controlled by the other, starts to be managed internally by us and how we can really look at this and support our vulnerability. And I'll, I'll talk a bit more about this, uh, maybe in the next question that focuses on this a bit more, but I just for recognizing this. And that's where the dark matter is all about, this vulnerability, vulnerability being activated and the control being gained. But to sum up, distinguishing between this, the light and the dark matter, the people that we have in our secure relationships, the people that care and love for us, they're not going to use this against us. They're not going to be using our interests against us. They're not going to be doing and saying some of the negativity that we have seen within them. We're not going to see the dark matter from the people that we're securely attached with and that are not presenting these, these traits towards us. We've all seen mirroring. And as I said in the last question, it's just as important to look out for this with our secure, healthy, positive relationships, just so we can go back down to another word that I've said many times, being human. Respecting and being compassionate towards yourself for the human functions that we have. And recognizing the mirror can go dark. When it goes dark, that's when we watch out for things. I'm just going to add one more thing, because this is so, so common. When we start to get to that stage of identifying it, identifying the dark matter, maybe we question it. Maybe we question the other person for what they're saying. This is where we can get to that next level of mirroring, 
maybe we question them. But, but last week you were you came to this class, you talked about how good it was and it was good for you, and now you're switching to something else and you're saying it's bad and I'm bad. We may also see muttering in terms of the emotion. We're now questioning. We're gonna hear questioning back. We're gonna hear the same style of questioning back to get in our heads. Because again, we're vulnerable right now. We're questioning if we're able to get to that point. And next thing, they're gonna get frustrated at us. They're going to get frustrated at us, they may, they may start to question our memory and get into some of those other gaslighting techniques that, that we often see. So that's where muttering and with many of these tactics, it's not just single tiered, it's multiple tiered. And that's where we, our awareness needs to be maintained through all tiers of this, even if we're challenging, because not challenging someone with narcissistic traits, we need to be aware that they're very good at it. When they do, when somebody's very good at anything, they're going to do it very well, and that's when they're going to give you the dark mirror of your emotions, and it's going to get to that next tier, and the tears can continue more and more and more and more. Because again, they're good at it, and that's what we need to be aware of. Thank you. All this mirroring concept and your answer to this mirroring made me think of one follow-up question. And what would your answer be that why do narcissistic people, narcissist people with narcissistic traits use so much mirroring? It's a wonderful question. And the answer I'll give is I'll be quite informative, but it's also quite a sad answer. Because when we look at narcissism and the reason they do that, the vulnerability that I spoke about before is often underneath. A distinguished further, no. Narcissism can be looked at in two different brackets. We can describe it as entitlement or grandiose-based narcissism. And we can also define it as, or the second bracket would be vulnerability-based narcissism. The argument could also be blamed that there's vulnerability on both sides, of course. But those core emotional needs that I mentioned before, we need those from birth to death. When we see somebody with narcissistic behaviours or a diagnosis or traits in any one of the two categories, we can understand that one or more of those core emotional needs were not met during childhood. Similar to all personality disorders, really, is a fragmented aspect of self. Therefore, let's say entitlement or grandiose-based narcissism, that's where we're going to get a child that has been, been bred through the lens of entitlement, that they are so special, they can do nothing wrong, and then build up towards this. This is the kid that will bully somebody and will come home, and then the parents may validate them, because that's what they should do. They are more important than the other kids, so they should do that. And it breeds this, this grandiose entitlement that was based on control. And therefore, what we learn in childhood often does replicate. And the patterns that we have in relationships start to get replicated more and more and more. And we see that those, that encoding, as I say, from childhood starts to get applied to the outside world and outside relationships, even in adulthood. We can also find entitlement-based narcissism in the lens of, let's say, a, a 
the parents, or the, the child had to aggrandize the parents very often, then therefore we can also see entitlement-based narcissism coming down in that coming through in that way. Again, this is about control. Control that's been learned in childhood and validated in childhood has been replicated in adult relationships. Vulnerability-based narcissism is a slightly different. Uh, I practice a model called schema therapy uh, if any of your listeners may be familiar with. It's a style of therapy designed specifically for um, personality disorders, including narcissism. Therefore, we, we discuss something called the self-aggrandizer mode. And this is a coping style where somebody will go into a self-aggrandizing mode that's, again, based on control because they're trying to protect against some form of vulnerability underneath whatever this is from. And when somebody overcompensates with self-aggrandizing and the tactics of control, within their psyche, it's about trying to protect against and work with, in a way, the vulnerability that's underneath. So we see how this can play out. But that's where one thing I will say, and it's also cautious to be around, is when we understand this, so many people that are survivors or of narcissistic relationships or are still in narcissistic relationships, from my experience, they tend to be very empathetic and understanding and, and therefore some of the reasons why this narcissistic pendulum can swing from one side to the other. And when it's on the positive side, our empathy can kick in, you know, we can feel be sorry for them, understanding, we can maybe understand what's underneath of this, this self-aggrandizing mode. That's what I'll caution. Because me as a therapist, I can work with self-aggrandizing modes, I can work with narcissism absolutely in all forms, but the individual needs to lead the way. I can understand narcissism, but if I'm and even in my personal life, if I come across, and of course I'm vulnerable too, I'm a human. Even though I'm a therapist and I'm aware, I'm still vulnerable because I'm a human. But if I come across narcissistic traits in my personal life, I can understand that, of course I can. I can understand, I can, these models have been mapped out, it's been understood. I understand what narcissism is. But does that mean I can fix it, quote unquote? Does that mean I can be more guarded to it? Does that mean I, can, I should maintain with it because I can understand it? The answer is no. Because I, I can't. Again, fix somebody. I can help somebody help themselves. In fact, I've worked with people that have worked through self-aggrandizing modes and worked through entitlement-based narcissism, and we've got great grounds and we've made great gains. But we're working together, we're a team. And that's where for the listeners, always be cautious. Even if we understand and we feel empathetic too, we still need to be cautious around because we cannot change them no matter what, only the individual can. We can only protect yourself. Thank you so much. Let's go to the final question. One of the ways that my narcissistic wife dominates me is by starting an argument and blocking me before I can get my point across. It makes me go crazy every time and I'm tired of her having so much control over me. What are some ways that I can validate myself in those situations so I don't fall for her baiting tactics? Yes. Guys, I mentioned up hoovering these, these analogies that, that are being used for tactics, and I think it's great. 
know, I think of a fisherman, you know, a fisher between the rod and the water and got some bait and what do, they, what do they want? They want the fish to bite so they can take it out of the water. And this is, this is no different. They want you to bite so they can take you out of the water into their realm of, of, of being. Baiting is, is, is so, so tough. And it, and it plays on a, it's such a broad term. It can be played out in so many different ways. It really can. And of course, like the other, the other tactics that we've discussed today, it's, we're all vulnerable to it. We really do. We really are vulnerable to it. Again, the question is how can we validate ourselves when we're in these moments? When we're in the midst of baiting and we feel our vulnerabilities coming up. How can we validate ourselves? One great way to think of this, and this is about our own personality, all models of psychology agree with this, that we have parts of our personality. We get different parts, of course. Right now, Juliana, you're in your podcasting part. You've got other parts of you. Of course you do, and I'm in my more therapist or speaking part right now. And of course I've got other parts of me. We can have the same nurturing and kind parts. We have social parts, work parts of our personality. We have protective and coping parts. And we also, well, we do all have vulnerable parts of our personality. We all have these different parts of us. And we recognize this within common language. A part of me wants to do this. A part of me doesn't want to do this. A part of me feels scared. A part of me wants to stay. A part of me wants to leave. These are real parts of ourselves. We can often define these through the, the word of ego as an ego state. The ego does this. The ego creates different states within ourselves. And that's why we develop parts of our personality. Oftentimes we have what we need. Part of our personality has what another part of our personality needs. So let's say we've got this nurturing, this kind part, whatever structure this may be in for the individual. And we've got this vulnerable part that's been activated. How can we use these two parts of ourselves to come together to support our, our needs within our own psyche? That's when we can start to think, all right, well, let's say a friend, family member, a colleague, somebody else, that was telling me this story, telling me this story of betting whatever situation this may be in. What would my nurturing, kind part of my personality, what would that say to them? That's when we can start to look at this and say, would that apply to me? Can I tap into my more nurturing and kind part and start to apply this to myself? What does my vulnerable part need to hear right now in whatever structure of baiting this may, this may be? This could be, as an example, let's say, let's say for me right now, if, if I recognize my vulnerable part being activated and I tap into my nurturing and kind parts of myself and I think, what would I say to my, my friends in a situation through this story? And I start to say this to myself, speaking directly to my vulnerable part in third person. I hear you. This is hard. I'm here for you. You don't deserve this. You're fine just as you are. This is baiting. This is a tactic. 
you're okay. You're going to get through this. This is me speaking from the nurturing kind parts of my personality, and I'm speaking directly to my nurturing, uh, my vulnerable parts. This is the way the human psyche is built. The parts of our personalities. That's why we see it in our language. And this is work I do often do in the therapy room. It's something that maybe some of your listeners could gain from. Some of these words that we can even write down for later. That we need to hear when our vulnerable parts are activated. We can move towards, of course, the first person. I'm here for me. I don't deserve this, etc., etc. We often have what we do need. And that's where, if we're alone and we're working it ourselves, tapping into our resources. Because I've never met one client in my life, and I've done this work for years, specializing in trauma and attachment work. I've never met one person that doesn't have a part of themselves that they can draw on, even when they are themselves. Because when we deep, look deep down in the psyche of somebody that's come through this, we find, we find this kindness, we find what they need. We also find the vulnerability that needs what they have. Of course, when we think about this as well, we can reach out, reach out to other people, reach out to those secure, safe relationships that we have. Allow them to speak to our vulnerable part if we're struggling to. Of course, disengaging from the situation, when we recognize the patterns, and this has been repeated, and we know what the outcome is from the numerous patterns that have been there, well, when the you know, fishermen change their bait often when they're, when they're in the same lake, because the fish recognize. Therefore, the fish recognize patterns. So can we. And therefore, just like the fish that recognizes the bait, it disengages. So can we. And we recognize the pattern. The fish doesn't want to be pulled out of the water. Neither do we. Thank you. Uh, one more follow-up question. Um, you mentioned many times, answering this question, the different parts of our personality. I have met many survivors of narcissistic abuse. And one thing that often what they describe describe often that they lose completely their sense of self they lose themselves into their relationship so how do you start to explore those different parts of your personality if you kind of feel like you have lost every touch to who you are as an individual how do you start to explore those aspects of yourself A fantastic question, it really is. And, you know, and, and understand, looking at the different parts of ourselves is, is so key to all of this. You know, I talked about schema therapy earlier, a model I practice often. That's exactly what we do. The listeners may be familiar with transactional analysis or uh, internal family systems. We're, we're looking at the same thing. Every theory of psychology understands parts of ourselves, uh, parts or multiplicity is the term, but parts of personality. How do we explore it? We don't lose ourselves, and that is something that we—it's a feeling. But we don't lose ourselves; we get buried, and that's why I always say to my clients, "You're not gone; you're buried. You can come back, absolutely." And every human has the capacity to, and I and, and I enforce this point very strongly with the listeners that are there that are here just now. 
because everyone can heal. They really, really can. And everyone can get that back. We can build, we can find ourselves again. An, an analogy I often use, we're hearing the analogies for narcissists and narcissistic traits, so I'm going to use another, another analogy for healing. And we're, and I love this analogy, I've described it with my clients, it's like an archaeologist. Like we're in the desert, and we see the desert going for miles and miles with sand everywhere. And we think, well, is it a dinosaur underneath? We think, probably not. If we see what an archaeologist does, they start sweeping away the sand, and clearer and clearer and clearer, we start to see the bones of the dinosaur start to forming. And as this gets swept away, swept away, even as those tiny, tiny brushes start to get used in the more intricate parts, we start to see the clear definitions between the sand and the dinosaur's bones. The analogy, of course, is the, the bones are us and the sand is what we're buried under. The question is, why are we buried? We're buried because we're protecting ourselves. This is what the human psyche does. I don't have time today to go into the autonomic nervous system, but this is our stress response system. This is the part that we've had since the dawn of time that we share with all our mammals that keeps us safe. Our authentic self, that lives in the regulated, safe and social part of our ner nervous system, who we truly are. If we get activated and we go into that fight and flight region of our, nerve or our stress response system, that's where we often see parts of our personality, protective parts, presenting. This is where we may find, as schema therapy would say, the detached protector, where we detach from the situation. This is a deep, deep feeling, it really is. We detach from the situation. We feel disconnected from others. We feel disconnected from ourselves. We even feel disconnected from reality. This is a part of our personality that can develop linked in with the stress response system that's designed to keep us safe, keep us away, keep who we truly are in the back of the mind because right here, right now, things are too much and it's not safe for us to come out. Humans have survived from the dawn of time. Some of that has been to do with physically fighting, physically running away, but it's also been, as it's commonly known as the freeze reaction. This isn't always about freezing though. This is a common misconception. We don't often physically freeze. We can, but we don't often. We detach. We can be walking around, we can be going to work, we can be talking to friends, and we can be in a complete detached zone, questioning who we are. And that's where we start to understand that a part of us is protecting. A part of us has been put forward to the front of the psyche, and who we truly are is at the back because it's not safe right now to come out. I'll repeat the main point of all of this. We don't go. We go into the back. We hide. Who we truly are hides in the back. Because who we truly are can be hurt. And if the hurting keeps happening, and we can't get away because of the control that's there, and the challenges that are happening, and, the, and all the other dynamics that we know of narcissism, then what do we do? The psyche hangs and it pushes forward a part of ourself, our ego state, that can disconnect our other protective mechanisms from this. Thank you so much. So that was the 
last question or last follow-up question to be exact so thank you for listening to this episode and thank you connor so much for joining me today and answering all these questions you're very welcome thank you for your time juliana it was lovely speaking to you today